0: On Wednesday, I tell the people who come on Wednesday for our Bible study that we ruminate. We kind of look at it from uh, different angles each week, and we kind of massage it, and we kind of meditate on it. And, and, uh, you know, whenever you do that to the Scriptures, it's amazing. It's amazing what you see that you haven't seen before. Because, you know, for years, I always raced through reading the Scriptures, you know, so I could make my check mark. I still do that a lot, Uh, but boy, when you slow down and you just kind of like drink it in piece by piece, it's amazing what you see. Uh, Chapter 3, verse number 14, verse uh, verse 13. And he went up into a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and for those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, that's the place to underline right there, that they might be with him. That's, that's, God call, that's God's calling in our life, too. Uh, he wants our fellowship. He wants us to hang out with him, that he might send them out to preach, and that's the second point. Uh, first of all, we're with him, and secondly, we go out to preach. I know you're not a preacher in the official sense, but you are in the unofficial sense. Because wherever you are, where you work, you're the man, or you're the lady there, uh, you're God's person. And to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonergus. I looked that up, that's an interesting word there, it means, it means son of commotion. Did you ever have your parents tell you when you were a kid you just caused so much commotion? That's what that means. That is the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when they had and when they had his own people heard about this, they went to lay hold of him, his family. Jesus was working so hard that he missed meals because he was so busy in the service of the Lord. And so his family here said, listen, we've got to do something about this. Uh, they wanted to lay hold of him, and they said, he's out of his mind. And the scribes also came down from Jerusalem and and said, he has Beelzebub, that's the devil. And by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. So he called them to himself, and he, sent, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. In other words, Satan is not at war in his kingdom. There's not an uprising in the kingdom of the devil. Well, look down to verse number 31. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, and uh, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and, or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are, are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus says, listen, I have a spiritual family. Spiritual families are made up of people who are doing my will. Well, last week we talked to you, first of all, remember we started in uh, the beginning of Mark chapter 3. We talked about the courage of Jesus. Remember, uh, he always had this conflict with the scribes and Pharisees about the meaning of the Sabbath, Uh, And he finally came to grips with the fact that he told these people, listen, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I made it up. I make the rules. And uh, what he meant by that, and of course he articulated, he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what had happened is uh, the Pharisees had created so many extra-biblical laws about the Sabbath that that the Sabbath had become a burden to people rather than a blessing. And so Jesus came on the scene, and he says, Listen, I'm going to show you the real meaning of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never created to be a burden to you. It was to be a blessing. You know, God really knew what he did when he created the Sabbath, you know. We work ourselves crazy in our society, and I'll tell you what, it's sure good to have one day that you can do something different on One day that you can kind of like regroup, get your senses back. And uh, these people had made it so difficult for people that that day was probably torture for them. And so Jesus went, in chapter 3, the first part, he went into the synagogue and he said, listen, I'm going to show you what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath is for doing good things. The Sabbath is to be a blessing to people. And he healed this man in the synagogue. Uh, He had compassion on these people. And their laws about the Sabbath would not hinder him from being compassionate. But, you know, compassion always demands action. And I I hope all of us understand that today. You know, I know that sometimes in a church like this we have compassion fatigue. Because, you know, we hear so many bad things and all of us want to reach out and touch those situations. And sometimes we just get worn out with compassion because we just wonder what can we really do about this situation and what can we do about that situation. That's why Jesus said our first calling is to be with him. Because somehow, in a miraculous way, he gives us spiritual energy to just keep reaching out, healing those people that need to be healed. It's amazing. Today I'd like to talk to you mostly about the call of Jesus. You'll notice in verse number 13, he went up into a mountain, and it was there that he called his 12 apostles. Now, in Luke's account, we have an added dimension. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Here it is. Uh, he went up into the mountain, Luke said, and but Luke interjects this, he continues all night in prayer to God. Now, it's not recorded in Mark, but in Luke. And when it was day, after all night praying, he called his disciples, and he chose 12, and he said, listen, I'm going to call you apostles, apostolos, one sent out as a representative of me. He prayed all night before announcing his inner circle. You know, it makes sense that we should follow his example and his command. How does God select his workers today? The same way by the prayers of the people who are doing the selecting. You know, whenever we think about asking somebody to do something in the ministry, uh, prayer should always be the first thing we think about. Now, now to be honest, it's, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we look at a person and we say, Listen, this person is, is talented, they have all the tools, uh, they're faithful, and we choose them on our criteria, not God's. Um, Jesus uh, gave us a command, actually, in Matthew nine thirty-eight. He says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. You know, the scripture says, and Jesus says, the harvest is what? Plenteous, right? But the labors are what? Few. And so he says, the reason why you don't have the people that you need to bring in the harvest is because you're not praying about it. We're worrying about it, aren't we? You know, I, I, I worry with people that are always like bad-mouthing why we can't get spiritual things done. And a lot of times, the reason why they do that is because we're not doing it God's way. Uh, someone said one time, God's work will never lack God's supply. Sometimes when God doesn't supply it, God doesn't want it to be done. And it's just a figment of our imagina- imagination. And so, uh, he calls these twelve men their disciples. So a disciple is a learner, an apprentice. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in McKee's Rocks, my father worked on trains. Uh, I still have a love for trains today. And he would come home. He'd be all he'd be black from head to f- uh, from head to foot, kind of like. Uh, a miner, you know, he gets coal dust all over him. Only he had grease all over him, and he said, "He said I am a a helper, an apprentice. I work beside the mechanic. Uh, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a print, an apprentice, works beside uh, the other person to watch their every move. So eventually, that person knows the job. That's what a disciple is. Jesus was taking these twelve disciples." And he was attaching himself to them so that they could watch his every move. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine how good they got at what they were doing, learning from the master teacher? Wouldn't that be incredible? Sometimes you and I uh, don't have the greatest example and we end up copying them, you know. Uh, But they did have... The correct example, Luke 6.40 uh, is an interesting verse. Look at the last part of this. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be his, like his teacher. And so I, I don't think that we think of the apostles like this. You know, when the apostles were, were following Jesus, uh, that was his goal, that they would be like him. So he was putting, he was putting his imprint upon these people. That's what you and I do today. We call it mentorship today. You know, we put our arm around somebody, and, and that's a good thing. That's really good because, you know, every generation has to be trained in the things of the Lord. And you know, a lot of times we forget that. You know, we, we have so much history, and we have so much uh, wisdom after you, after you grow in God for many, many years, but we forget this whole new generation coming on is coming from zero. And so there's no better way for them to learn than to be in the presence of someone who has learned so that they can observe. Uh, observing is the best way. You know that. Uh, these 12 were to carry on the life which the 12 tribes of Israel were to do earlier. These 12 would be the foundation of a new chosen generation of people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a new chosen generation. The foundation of the church, back in those days, stood upon the apostles. Ephesians 2.20 refers to this. Let's read it, okay? having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, this is is humanly speaking, and this just makes sense. These people were the first generation of Christians, followers of Jesus. And the Bible says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles. That's all of them, all of the twelve and the prophets. Now, that could, be, that could be other people also, but it could be the same people too, because a prophet simply means a preacher. And these apostles were indeed preachers. See? And so this was the first generation of Christians. Now, Stephen Alford says, the apostleship probably always included the gift of prophecy, so that all the apostles themselves might likewise have been prophets. Prophets. Now, whenever we talk about the foundation of the church, uh, we, our, my mind doesn't go to the apostles. Who does my mind go to? It goes to Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 3.11 is a good verse on that subject. Let's read this. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe, is the foundation of the church. Uh, he is the bedrock the foundation of everything that we believe and preach now he's calling these apostles to be flesh and blood foundation the first generation of Christians they had certain characteristics Uh, grace someone says does not make humanness a disqualifying characteristic of a Christian we're all human right Give me an amen, all right? We're all human. We're very human. I don't even want to go into telling you how human we really are today, because you already know. But these disciples of the Lord were, first of all, obedient to his call. Uh, Obedience always trumps service or sacrifice, because the Bible says it's better to obey than sacrifice, right? Right? And so God looks down and he says, listen, the best thing you could ever do for me is just be obedient. And so they were obedient to the call. Remember, Jesus said, follow me, and they said, okay. Second thing is they had courage to show whose side they were on. And this was so much more dangerous today. You know, what price are you paying for being a Christian? That's kind of a provocative thought this early in the morning, isn't it? probably very few of us in this auditorium are paying any kind of a price at all for being a Christian. But, you know, when they came out for Jesus, they had to pay a price. They paid a price. Uh, They weren't stepping into religion. They were stepping away from it. They chose a relationship with Jesus rather than religion, and the religious forces rose against that idea because the religious forces believed that religion was the answer. But religion wasn't the answer, and it never is. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the answer. And that always goes against the grain of religion. And so their characteristics were simply to obey the call and to have courage. And their call, as we mentioned earlier, was to be with him. They learned from being around him. Now, here's a great quote. It says, a preacher, and and you can put your name in here too, because even though you're not like officially a preacher, you really are a preacher of some sort. A preacher will only be as useful to Jesus to the extent that he has been with Jesus. Because, you know, getting up and speaking the words and going out among the people and sharing the word, uh, you know, it's it's all pretty useless if there's no power behind it, if there's no emphasis behind it, spiritual emphasis. And send them out to preach the gospel. That's the second thing. On Wednesday night, we're having this little Bible study now in the church, and I'm talking about the vine and the branches. And we're learning in John chapter 15 that, that the Lord wants from you and me fruit. That's why we are here in this world, to produce fruit. Spiritual fruit, Galatians 5.22. You know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, self-discipline, all those things that are really nice. And he says, listen, whenever whenever I plant you, graft you into my vine, I'm going to produce some fruit in your life, and, as, and your life is going to become a whole lot more attractive than it ever has been before, spiritually speaking. And he says, listen, I want you to bear fruit. You know, when you plant a fruit tree, you want something out of it, don't you? The first year you go by and it's like two apples and you applaud. Yeah, it really is an apple tree. But what do you want for the next year? You want a whole bunch of apples, right? And so the Lord grafts you into himself and he says, listen, I want you to be a fruit bearer. And then I want you to bear more fruit. And what's the next one? I want you to bear much fruit. And then there's the fourth dimension is I want your fruit to remain. That means a perpetual, unending fruit all the way to the end. And so, uh, fruit-bearing is good, but it's not the total answer to what God called these people to do. Because I've had people tell me, you know, I, I'm trying to live the Christian life, and if somebody wants to get saved, they'll probably come up to me and say, listen, we've noticed that you live such a good life would you just tell us about that? Well, let me tell you that I don't think I've ever had anybody say that to me. And don't chuckle, okay? I've, I don't think I've ever had anybody come up to me and say, Listen, we just noticed your life is so different than anyone else's. Now, maybe you've had that happen to you, and that's fine if you have. But just having the fruit is not the message that God wants us to project to the world. The, the second calling of a disciple is to be sent out to preach. To preach. We are all called to preach. You can call it whatever you want to. You can call it witnessing. You can call it sharing. You can call it anything. But we have to open our mouth and preach the good news gospel. And when we do that, what happens is the fruit in our life validates the message that we preach. So don't leave the church today and say, Hey, listen, you know, I'm an honest guy on the job, and that's all God requires of me. It is not. God requires that we open our mouth and that we share the gospel the message that Jesus died upon the cross, that he was buried for our sins, that he rose the third day, and by accepting him, we can avoid the punishment of hell. And we can be delivered from the penalty of hell and rescued for time and eternity. And so, it's all right here in the Bible. Look at it. Verse 14. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now, these people were just the fir- They were only the first generation of Christians. Now, you and I, we're a long way down the chain, aren't we? But we are important. We are important because this is our generation. And we have to stand up also. Now, whenever you read the names of the twelve apostles. I know some of them, some of them, it's like you never heard of them before, and you never hear of them again. Some of them are familiar to your ears, and their works are reported. But others are not familiar to your ears, and their works are not reported. They went out into this world, and they, without being reported, they did the work of God. Now, how many people do you know that have done that, unreported. Most of the people of God are unreported. I was just thinking of Charles and Elda Coleman. I remember years ago, I went to the Baptist Bible College in Springfield for one of their pastor's meetings, and this old couple got up before the student body, and they said, we are praying for a replacement of our ministry in Pakistan. Pakistan. And I thought, after hearing them, I thought, man, I'll tell you what, I think I should go. <laughs> Maybe I could do that. How can you reject an appeal like that? And they made this decision that they would not leave Pakistan until God provided a young couple to take their work. Well, they just came home. They are 88 years old, and God has provided a young couple to take their work. And that young couple was in our church a couple months ago, Randall and Rachel Rodriguez. Randall grew up in San Diego. His parents were born in Mexico. Uh, He looks the part. Rachel does not. They got married, she's having a little baby, and their goal is to get to Pakistan, to have this baby in Pakistan, because there's something about immigration. But they are going to Pakistan to take the work that these people invested 56 years. They were missionaries in Pakistan. They Listen to this, they started 20 churches. And they recently came home and I I got an email and it said they were having, the the email said, come to the Springfield, Missouri airport. We're gonna welcome the Coleman's home after uh, 56 years in Pakistan. I think they had less than a hundred people come to the airport. That was probably a big crowd for a missionary. I'm sure that many missionaries come home and have no one. Their works are unreported. Uh, you know, that's not a bad thing. Because remember John the Baptist said he must increase, he must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, reporting the work is not what we're in, in business for. That's God's business to record, the, to record it. But, you know, one of these days we're going to see these people again. And I think probably some of these names that we're not familiar with, they're going to tell their stories in heaven. You know, we're going to have a long time to catch up. Revelation 21:14 says this. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles. In eternity, in the new city, the names of these apostles whose names and works or whose works are unreported will be written in that way. You've heard this before, Matthew twenty-two, fourteen: many are called, but what? That means many are invited and few accept. You know, the Lord gets his message out in all kind of different ways. But you know, there's not a rush of people to come to him today because uh, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. Rarely is the majority the custodian of truth, but it is a blessing to know him to know, whom to know is to have life eternal. Uh, uh, your mother-in-law, Amy, Dorothy, she's a Incredible person. She's like an old-fashioned Christian. You know that? Uh, she's in, uh, she's in uh, Texas today, right? She came up to me. She just came into the church, and she came up to me, and she says, Pastor, I just want to tell you that I'm going to be away for a few weeks in Texas because that's what I always tell my pastor so he doesn't worry about me. Just wants you to know I'm going to go to Texas. I said, thank you. Thank you, Dorothy. And in the midweek service, she, uh, we had a little time of testimony, and she said, you know, she said something really cool. She said, where would we be without Jesus? And I just, I just thought to myself, you know, I just really need to be reminded of that. Where would I be without the calling of God on my life? What if God, what if God hadn't? reached down into that little brick house? You haven't heard that word for a long time, have you? Some of you don't even know what it means. What if God wouldn't have reached down into that little inselbrick house in Sheridan, section of Pittsburgh, and said, John, I choose you. Judy, I choose you. Ruth, I choose you. Albert, I choose you. Where would we be? Where would we be? I'll tell you what, we have such a hope, don't we? And such a presence in our life from the Lord Jesus Christ. And where would you be had God not reached down into your little place and said, listen, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I want to encourage you I knew I wouldn't get through this sermon again today. But I, I want to encourage you. Let's just go back to those couple basic points. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He said, you just obey me, you just spend time with me, and then I'll send you out to preach. You don't have to, you don't have, to have any pressure. Because if you spend... Now listen to this. If you spend time with Jesus, you'll want to go out and preach. Paul said, the love of Jesus Christ constrains me. I can't help it. I can't help it. And so we won't have to be prodded or tricked or, in sin, you know, we won't have to have anybody pushing us. Uh, in our heart, we'll just say, hey, listen, i got to figure out how to do this. How am I going to witness to my buddy? How am I going to bring my relatives to Christ Because whenever you spend time with Jesus, he puts his thoughts in your heart, doesn't he? Let's spend time with Jesus, all right? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, you know, I know that all of us try to do the Christian life backwards, we know what we should be doing, and we go out and we try to do it, but we try to do it without God's power in our life, and we become discouraged because there's no way under heaven we can do God's work in our own energy or through our own talents. And we just get discouraged because we hit all kind of closed doors. Well, let me, let me just drive this point home today to you. We need to spend time with Jesus and we need to fall in love with our Bible and uh, we need to have a place that we can close the door and just talk to God and let him infuse us with his presence. And then that whole thing changes for you. Then you'll be empowered to do what you can't do by yourself. Dear Lord, as we uh, come to the conclusion of our service today, I pray that we will have these apostles as our examples. They weren't talented people, but they were chosen by you to be obedient and to go out and preach. And Lord, we just pray that that we will take this upon ourselves, this calling also for our generation. They did well in their generation. Lord, help us to do well in ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.